Lord has been there with us all along. And uh, that's, that's really a, almost a testimony, I guess you could say, of, of our ministry. And uh, the Lord is, I'll put it this way, when I was in Bible college, I never thought that someday I'm going to grab thousands of pounds of inflatables and head across the nation and uh, help churches and have big days and, and do VBSs and, and uh, big days and revivals. And I never thought that was going to happen. But the Lord has placed it in our life, and, and he placed it uh, in, in, in a time of our life when, when uh, we could do it. And, uh, and so it's, that's a wonderful song. Um, the, the woman you just saw up here sing that with me is the, the most wonderful woman in my life. And she has, I know, she's going to cry. She's going to make me cry now. But she, she, has, she has been there with me all along, too. And, uh, and <laughs> having Jesus in our life and having God in our family is one thing. But having me in there also, sometimes it's not so fun. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, she, she has endured me. She has loved me all the way through. And I love her. And uh, all, of, all of our kids, too. Have uh, have grown up in church, and they they have they we we've made sure to to make uh, God in our home, not just a, a place that we go to uh, on Sunday, but some a place that we can come to at church and also at home. But um, tonight, I, w- I wanted to preach to you. We're, we're talking about Job, and of course, I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Job. You've probably heard it many times, but but uh, there. I want to address a couple things here at the first verse there. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and the man was perfect and upright, which means he was not, not, without, not without sin. It means that he was mature and upright as a Christian, and, uh, and one that feared God. So we have Job. He has feared God. He, he is perfect. He's a mature Christian, upright in his standing, and, uh, and he had seven sons and three daughters, his substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. He had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of things, and uh, good things, and things that he needed to live, so that he was, listen to this, the greatest men, greatest of the men of the East. And so he was uh, very affluent. And uh, Job was a man that I think would live, of the story that we know of Job, he lived in the extremes. Wouldn't you say? Uh, he was the type that not only did he have great riches and wealth on one hand, but then also he was brought to great poverty, and death visited him on the other. He, he lived life in the extremes, and I think the Lord puts uh, pictures and examples of, of people like Job here in the Bible to kind of show us uh, that we, we live somewhere in the middle, don't we? We live somewhere in the middle uh, of, of we, we have... Not maybe that we wouldn't be considered the greatest man in the East, or uh, we wouldn't also be considered the poorest person that, that, uh, that you know, of, of this, of this uh, city or anything like that. But, but we live somewhere in the, in, in the middle, and our suffering may not be as extremes as Job's was, but there are things in our life that may sometimes touch those same types of things and those types of examples. Um, the, the, 
the Bible is full of examples. The Old Testament, we know of uh, Naomi in the book of Ruth. Naomi and uh, Elimelech leave, leave uh, Bethlehem and, and they go over to Moab to find food. And, and uh, while there, they, they decide to stay a little while. They're going to stay there a little bit out of God's will to, until the famine left. And uh, then they were going to come back. But you know what happened with, with Naomi? She comes back. She, she even says, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? We see in Naomi's life, Elimelech, of course, dies. She has two sons. They die, and, and uh, Ruth is, is the only one, and they come back. But the Lord was still able to use her in a wonderful situation with Boaz. Naomi, another example Joseph was another example in, in Genesis 50. You know, we, we have bad things upon bad things. What, if you read the, the life of Joseph, just compound bad things. You know, first of all, his brothers throw him in a pit. and They say, well, he's got to be worth something, so we'll at least sell him to these, these uh, guys over here as a slave. Gets sold into slavery. slavery and then uh, while in the house of Potiphar, Potiphar's wife accuses him of uh, a, a dastardly thing, and, and uh, he gets put into prison. And while in prison, he does some great things. He becomes almost like the head caretaker of the prison. And, uh, and while there, he, he grew in stature. He, he almost had a chance to get out. But then he was forgot in prison again. And, uh, and finally, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream and was actually put in the second in command in Egypt. And uh, through all of those things, all those things that brought, brought to pass, you know what Joseph's attitude was. He says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it, as it is this day to save much people alive. You know, we all are going to have valleys of suffering in our life. We all have, uh, and as, as we go through the nation and, and through the Midwest, and I, I preach and I, I see people, and uh, there's one thing that I found that all people have, problems, trials, suffering, and uh, it's out there, and, and, and praise the Lord, we have a God that, uh, that sees us in our trouble and sees us in our trials, but, uh, but the valley of suffering will sometimes, it will definitely challenge our belief in God's love toward us. It will challenge the belief of God's love toward us, but hopefully it doesn't change our belief in God's love toward us. Amen? You see, there's these problems that enter and rearrange our life to the point that it just never is the same again. There's sometimes situations that will happen in our life where it becomes a new normal and you don't like it. It becomes a new normal because it has to be because that problem is there in your life and it has to be there, but you don't want it to be. You wish it was different. You wish there was something else that could be done. Gideon. We, we know he was behind the wine press uh, winnowing some, some, some wheat to feed his family. And the reason why he was behind there is because the Midianites, they had come and, and every year at the harvest, every year, here come the Midianites with their camels and their, and their oxen and they, they eat up all the grass and they destroy the harvest. They take all the goods and uh, sends all the Israelites up into the mountains to hide from them because they're just, just like locusts. They're ants and they're just everywhere and there's nothing that they can do. And, uh, and here, while, while Gideon's behind the wine press uh, trying to make some, a little bit of food for his family, we have the angel of the Lord, which is uh, a uh, theophany, I guess you could say, of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And the uh, angel of the Lord says, hey, thou great man of valor. What? God is with me, thou great, great man of valor. What? 
Did, are you talking to me? And he, he did that. He responded that way. And, I, and if, if you read on, his response was, hey, where, where, what happened to all the miracles? You know, I read back in the, in the Bible there, I read, and, and my, the stories have been told to me that, uh, that Moses led the, the children of Israel out of bondage, and, and the, the, the Red Sea parted, and I read all of, about all of these miracles. Where's the miracles in my lifetime? How come I'm, as an Israel, why am I behind the, the wine press winnowing wheat and, and trying to get some food for my family because of this great pestilence of people? The Midianites have come in and destroyed everything. Why, why is this happening to me? The valley of suffering, it will, it will challenge our belief sometimes in, 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 in God's love toward us. But you know what? Understanding the true fear of the Lord will strengthen our relationship with him. You notice, notice now, now, now hear me out here, because I'm going to tell you about the fear of the Lord here. It says, there, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. He did, he did things right. He was a mature Christian, did things right, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Job, he, he was a good man, wasn't he? He was a good neighbor. He, he was the kind of neighbor that I'd love to have. You know, the rich neighbor that doesn't care if you, you borrow his lawnmower. Yeah, that, I'd love to have a neighbor like that. And uh, he never returned evil uh, for, for, to those who hated him. I'm sure he was hated by uh, some people who coveted his things and coveted his property and coveted uh, the things that he had. And uh, I'm sure there was people that hated him, but he never returned evil for that hatred. He was upright in all his dealings. He was eyes to the blind. He, he, he fed the poor. He clothed the poor. And he feared God. See, I believe there are many levels to the fear of the Lord. There's many levels to the fear of the Lord. Uh, if you, you, know, you can actually be afraid of God. And uh, back in the Old Testament, we, we, we read of, of uh, Moses as he went up to uh, get, the, get the law. And on Mount Sinai, the, the mountain was, was covered in smoke and, and fire. And, and uh, the, the, the people of Israel were told, do, do not cross this line or you will die. And, uh, and, and so they saw all the thunderings and the lightning, and they saw all this thing, and that, that's what they thought God was. In fact, later on, uh, when Moses, when God wanted to speak to the people, the people said, Moses, we will have you, you can talk to God all you want, Moses, you, you, and he can talk to you, but you speak to us, because he said, speak not to us, lest we die. If the Lord speaks to us, we'll die. That was a... That was an infantile fear of God. That was a fear that it was just afraid. I, I don't, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll serve that person. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever he says, but I, I just don't want anything to do with it. That was a, the, an infantile, and not a very good precise definition of the fear of the Lord. It's a very infantile uh, relationship, if, if you would. But then we have an awe and reverence for his holiness. This is more what Job had here, an awe and reverence for his holiness. And this provokes a desire to be zealous of all types of great works in the ministry and that God can approve of. And, and, and it was a type, a type of uh, fear of God that says, well, if I do this, I can gain this promise. And it's a great thing. If I uh, live right and I eschew evil, if I turn away from the evil things and do right, God will bless me. And here we have Job here, and he was blessed beyond all measure. He had all these things. God gave him a bunch of children. And, and, and Job, even though he was blessed with all these things, he didn't take it for granted. Oh, not for a moment. 
He was the one praying for his, for his children and trying to make intercessions and saying, Lord, if, if maybe one of my children said something in their heart, not even out loud to people, maybe my child said something in their heart that, that might have gone against you or, or, or might have, he, he might have muttered something under his breath and, and might have had some pride crop up in his, in his life. And, and, and so he said, Lord, please don't, don't lay that sin to their charge. I'm praying and because he knew that with the promise of God came the blessing of God. And if he would do those things that, that, that God told him to do, if he would uh, eschew evil and, and, and be righteous and up, up, upstanding person and a good neighbor and eyes to the blind and ears to the deaf and, and did all those things, God was going to bless him. And that's, that's, that's what was so, an awe and reverence for his holiness. And this is a step in the right directions, and many Christians live here. But it still doesn't capture the truest form of what the fear of the Lord is because there's still that fearfulness of what happens when those blessings stop. What happens when the blessings stop? What does that mean when the blessings stop? The purest form of the fear of the Lord is awe and reverence of God's amazing love. It's an awe and reverence of God's amazing love. We sing the song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. And we sing it, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. But what happens when... Your life, when something happens in your life that's not marvelous and it's not wonderful and things start to light on fire in your life, we know with Job, we know with Job, servant after servant, the, the servant couldn't even get it out of his mouth before the next servant would come up and say, hey, Job, your children are dead. Job, your camels, they're gone. Everything you have is gone, Job. It's all gone. It'd be hard to sing how marvelous, how wonderful. But I like, you know, I, many times, you know, when we, we, when we see Job here, we got torment that touched his life, that fear of that, fear of the evil thing. And he even, he even said it later on because he had an inner torment. The, the fear and evil of this world will someday touch his life. He, he knew it. In fact, uh, when he was sitting in, in ashes and, and scraping those sores from his body, in Job 3.25, it says, For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. That thing that which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. On awe and reverence of God's amazing love, you know, we sing that song and, and, and we know that God loves me and God has an interest in me. In 1 John, it says, perfect love casteth out fear. You know, why, you know why that is? Perfect love casteth out fear because fear has torment with it. Fear has torment. Uh, Job carried that inner, inner torment and that fear that, that evil, evil that, that uh, he knew that he had a hedge of protection around him and that someday that evil would somehow come to him and visit him and it did. You know, I, I like to read the account of the crucifixion of Christ. It often reminds me of the, the love that God had for me, the love that he had for me. And it keeps me in awe and reverence of the love that was shown to me that day. On Calvary, when he was nailed to the tree, 
And what do you hear when, when Jesus was going through the most grievous and physical suffering and pain in his life? We, we hear grace, don't we? We hear grace. He's, we hear, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Pain and agony squeeze the very heart of Christ. And he said, don't lay the sin on their charge. And he became sin. We can read those passages, but if we don't take the time to really think about what Jesus did for us, it has no spiritual meaning, does it? It has no spiritual effect. It has no uh, spiritual influence in our life. But to those of us who understand that we are sinners, who understand that the wickedness is, that sin is wicked, and that you hear the prayer, you, you hear that prayer of Christ on Calvary, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You hear, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. That's what you hear when you hear Jesus Christ on the cross. The awe and reverence that brings us into the true peace and fellowship is the awe and reverence of his love. But, but you know, when the valley of suffering comes, that valley of suffering comes into our life, you know, it'll, it'll challenge us. It'll trick us into questioning if God is even real sometimes. It'll, it'll question and trick us into to thinking, what, what's happening to me? Where, where was God in this? When I got that phone call, where was God? How come, how come this thing is happening in my life? And you can fill in the blank. God allows valleys of suffering because he knows that on the other side is a true relationship with his people, a true relational peace and love that will only come by passing through, sometimes passing through a valley that you would never choose for yourself. If I knew that valleys were going to happen in my life, I would say, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll take uh, maybe a, a broken pinky, or I'll you know, accidentally have a fender bender here once in a while, or I'll have a car breakdown. But man, sometimes you, you'd say, how in the world is this happening to me? You, you get dazed into a state of, is this really happening right now? Valleys of suffering... He wants to have a relationship with us. God wants to have a relationship with us. And sometimes it, it, he chooses to, to take the path of, of giving us and taking us through valleys that we would not choose for ourselves. You know, Job lived with an abundance, yet it was not without fear. He had an abundant life. He had everything that he ever needed and more, but it was not without fear. He had a fear that the hedge of protection would be removed and that, that evil would somehow turn up and come upon him and his family. You know, if he didn't live uprightly in a shoe or turn away from evil like he always had, he thought, well, if I don't do that, then I'm going to get the wrath of God, and I don't want that on my life. That was Job's motivation to live an upright life. One could look at Job's life and say, you know, hey, it must really pay to, you know, his neighbors, his friends and family are probably like, wow, you know, it, Job, he's serving God, and it really does pay to serve God. Look at his life. He's got everything. He's got the, the world by the tail, if you will. And, uh, and it would be a great motivator. Uh, God's blessing was a great motivator um, for, for Job to do what was right. Blessing is a great motivation, amen? And uh, it, it's a great motivation for people to serve God. But what happens when the blessings are taken away and that hedge of protection is gone and Satan gets access to our life and it's just you serving God because he's God? You serving God just because He's God. What's the motivation then? You say, Brother Nelson, I, I, I tithe and, 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 and 
this thing happened in my life. I had this financial reversal and I lost my money and the stock market went down and I can't afford food for my family. But I've been tithing faithful and I give offering and I give generously to God's work and I give to missionaries. I do all these things. Why is this happening to me? Sometimes God's hedge of protection is, is taken down and, and God will allow Satan to, to do things in your life that you would never choose for yourself. You notice here in, in, Satan comes along in verse 7. It says, in verse 7, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And the Satan answered the Lord and said, From going uh, to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? He said, hey, Job, Job here is a really good guy. Have you considered him? And, uh, and of course, we know Satan answered the Lord and said, doth, doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all the things on every side? See, Satan knows us better than we know ourselves. He's had thousands of years to, be, to perfect his craft, and uh, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He understands that if you take everything that a, a person has, eventually he will probably curse God to his face, which was what he was aiming for. Might not be right away. In fact, uh, Job even said, as soon as all those things happened to him, he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you know what? That was a, that was a good answer. That was a good answer, Job. But you know what? As the suffering continued, we jump a little bit later, and all of a sudden his wife's saying, probably out of pity for, for Job, saying, why don't you just curse God and die, okay? I don't want to see you suffer anymore. Satan knows us better. But you know what? Sometimes it's, it's not just the valleys that come in our life, because we know that valleys will happen, but sometimes it's the duration that we're in that valley. Sometimes it's how long, it's that time spent in the valley that can really push us to say things and think things that, and, and start to question, does God really love me? Why would a loving God do this to me? God gives the devil access to all that Job had, and in a moment, everything that Job had was destroyed. Life can change in a moment. In one doctor's appointment, one doctor's visit, one phone call, a moment of taking your eyes off the road. I remember I, I lived in Florida for a little while, and I uh, was a school administrator down there, and I was going up... Highway 41 in Inverness, and I noticed a bunch of police cars over here in, in, in a, uh, a little strip mall that was across the street from a gas station. I had just well, I wanted to get some gas anyway, so I stopped in, and, and uh, I usually pay at the pump, but I decided to go in and, and see what the, all the commotion was about. And uh, I talked to, to the man at the gas station there, and he was, and he was visibly shaken himself. The, the man across the street... Uh, Worked at a, uh, at a at a store there across the street, and uh, and that morning his his normal routine was to take the take the the uh, son to school and then and then go to work. Well, at that day, his wife had to, had something that she had to do, and she said, "Okay, you got you you need to take our our one year old to daycare while you you, you got to go and take." take our, our son to school and, and take our one-year-old daughter to daycare. And uh, unfortunately, I, I probably don't even have to finish the story. You know what happened. Florida temperatures can reach well over 100 degrees in a car. 
And unfortunately, that man, for, he, he, he did his normal routine, and just because he forgot to take his daughter to daycare, he died, passed away. And it happened in a moment. It happened on a, a, a regular day. No lead up to it, just gone in a moment. Job's kids uh, were all his goods. Everything was gone in a moment. Why? Satan was given access to a life of someone who was upright. Satan was given access to a life of someone who eschewed evil. Satan was, was given access to a life of someone who went to church all the time, who, who, who uh, sang in the choir, who, who played instruments, who, who did all those things that he knew he should do. Satan visited upon that house that day. Job enters the fiery trials of life. 1 Corinthians 3.13-16 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, that there's going to be a day, shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If a man's work abide, which hath built, there, built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. What is that day that everything in our life catches fire? The day that God pulls back the hedge of protection and allows Satan to launch fiery darts into our life, into your life. God reveals the gold and the silver and the precious stones, burns all that wood, hay, and stubble. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you, as though some strange thing had happened. Hey, you know, we shouldn't be surprised I guess, by when fiery trials come. But when the fiery trials come in Job's life, came and found out that living upright and shewing evil was not enough to give him the strength that he needed to endure the fiery darts of Satan. It left Job thinking, is God against me? Is God not a just God like I thought? Serving God, is, is it in vain to serve God if this is all going to happen anyway? Is God a rewarder for good? Is he, does he give evil for good? You know, many times growth is limited in a hedge of protection. We, we know uh, Job was in a hedge of protection and that hedge was taken down and, and Satan was given access to parts of his life and many things in his life started to burn down around him. But you know what I found out in the Christian life? Growth can, can sometimes be hindered when you're in the hedge of protection. Uh, we, we, we were at uh, the store the other day, and uh, we were at a place, and they, they were selling these um, little, I, I guess it's a plastic uh, bin that has a, has a, has a top to it, and uh, in, inside was, it looked like a hockey puck, but it was actually dirt with some seed of, for watermelon. And you just put a little water, you just put a little seed, um, uh, water in, in, in there, and you, you let it soak up, and, and in, in a couple months, you start to get watermelon. But the lady said, said make sure, make sure once, that, once the plant gets so high that you take off that cover, that cover acts as a greenhouse for, for the plant for a while, gives it the heat, and, and traps in the moisture that the plant needs for a little while, but you've got to take that cover off, or she said, it will just, it'll die. It, it just will grow too big for the container. And... Uh, Growth can be limited in that hedge of protection that God puts around us. Job literally, he had a hedge that for, for a time Satan could not penetrate. You know, we, we, have, 
we have things that we do for our new, newborn babies, right? We have newborn babies, and, and you have them, it's been a while since I've had them in the house, and our house is not baby-proof, all right? Uh, kids will fall down the stairs at our house, and... Uh, but, uh, but we, we, we try to baby-proof the house, we, you know, someday when we get grandkids, amen, and uh, the ones that you can take home when you're done with them, and, uh, or send, send home when you're done with them, and, uh, but, but someday when we get grandkids, we're going to have to probably baby-proof the house a little bit again, and we'll probably have to, uh, you know, put covers over the plugs and, and put the guard over the stairs and, and do all those things and, 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 and get the baby seats out and, and the car seats and all those things. Now, when, when my kids were, were, were young, we had all those things. We, we had the gate at the stairs that I tripped over and fell down the stairs many, many times. And uh, we had the car seats that you had to lug out and strap in, and, and that was a whole routine. But as our kids grew in age and grew in stature, uh, they, they, they didn't have to have that protective equipment anymore. And of course, we know you know the newborn babies they have the cradles and the crib and and all those things. But when the baby is 16 years old, we don't try to protect them in the same way that our, our babies are when they're one and two years old, because we know that as adults, growth is limited in hedge of protection. And just just like personal protection can become counterproductive to development, the hedge of protection can become a hindrance in our development as a Christian. In, uh, in Luke 22, we have uh, Peter here. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that, you may, that he may sift you as wheat. And, he, and, and Jesus goes on to say, But I have prayed for thee. Now, what do you think that prayer was? That Satan wouldn't, wouldn't be able to, to sift him as wheat? That, that Peter wouldn't deny Christ three times? Oh, no. He says, he says, That thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Of course, Peter says unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. He, he didn't even understand what was going on. But you know what? Jesus didn't pray that, that Satan would, would be hindered and Satan, that, he, that uh, Peter would have a hedge of protection around him that Satan could penetrate. No. He said, after Satan sifts you like wheat, after you deny me three times, listen, I, I, I'm, what I'm praying for, for, for you right now is that your faith fails not. Because it's the faith that's going to get you up. It's that faith. He prayed that his faith would not fail because when you stumble and you fall and you find yourself flat on your face in that, in that valley, you find yourself flat on your face, it, the only thing that's going to get you back up is faith and knowing that Jesus Christ is a good as a good God. He's a good Savior. And knowing that God is a good God and that He loves you. We'll not get back, back up based on sight. We'll not get back up based on understanding of God's Word, but we'll get back up by faith and faith alone because that's the only thing that can get us back up. Of course, you know we, the story of Jacob and, and, uh, and, and Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was, of course, sold into slavery and his brothers thought he was dead and and, uh, and sold him into slavery. Jacob thought he was dead. And uh, now, now Joseph was boy number 11, all right? Benjamin was boy number 12. Guess, you know, Joseph was his favorite, and now he's gone out of the picture. Guess who, guess who they decide, who Jacob decides to put his hedge of protection around? Benjamin. 
And that's why if you read through the story of, of Joseph, you know, after uh, Joseph is second command in, 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 in Egypt and, and uh, helping the, them through the famine, it was the back and forth, you, you know, whose name wasn't in the, the crew going back and forth between Egypt? It was Benjamin for a little while. That's why Joseph said, hey, bring thy, thy brother Benjamin with you. With you. In the natural world, we overprotect things because we're afraid of loss. We overprotect things because we don't want to let it go. We miss out on the gain spiritually. God brought Jacob to a point where he had to let Benjamin go with his brothers down, down to Egypt, or they would starve to death, right? But in letting go of Benjamin, <laughs> in letting go of Benjamin, look what Jacob gained. He gained the, the knowledge of, of knowing that Joseph was alive and well. Sometimes God allows Satan with his fiery darts to burn and light on fire the wood, hay, and stubble in our lives that we are so protective of. And God allows Satan to light those fires and those things around us. But God doesn't do it to us. He does it for us. He does it for us. That way, the, the gold and the silver and the precious stones can be used for his glory. For a greater glory. In conclusion here, this is my last point. Bad things can happen to good people without a cause, but not without purpose. Not without purpose. Job chapter 2, you know, he, he was speaking with, uh, God was speaking with, with, with Satan here. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect, not right man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And he, still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. You know, to Satan, it, it was without cause. But, but to God, there was actually a purpose in bringing this into his life. So we have chapter 1, we have Satan. says, God, you, you have him so hedged in that there's, you know, anyone would serve you if, if they were that hedged in. So God said, okay, Satan, I'll take down the hedge. Chapter 2, Satan says, well, well, God, he may not curse you over the loss of earthly things, but, but you know, you just let me affect his health, and he, he will surely curse you to his face, to your face. You know, it's important to know that God recognized here in chapter 2 that Job, he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve the things that, that Satan did to him. He says, thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Unfortunately, of course, you know, I'm not going to explain the whole story of Job, but he, he surrounds himself with three friends that try to, to weigh in and dissect the, the life of Job and to try to accuse him of some great uh, sin or unconfessed sin that was so great and that even one of his friends uh, believed that he should get double the punishment for it. And uh, who, need, who needs enemies when you have friends like these guys, right? And... Uh, but bad things happen to, to, good, to, to, to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. But this thing, bad things happening to bad people and good things happen to good people fits perfectly with the, the protective theological narrative that they had in the day. You know, the, the friends all thought it has to be something, it has to be something, Job, that you did. It has to be some unconfessed sin because if, if, if it's not and, and bad things can happen to good people, then we're in trouble because the reason why I serve God, the reason why we do things is so bad things don't happen to us. But we see here with Job that bad things can happen to good people. And uh, there's safety in, in a protective theological mindset, I guess, and 
They felt that if they could somehow explain the catastrophe in Job's life, that it would somehow be avoided in their life as long as they you know, keep their nose clean, stay on the straight and narrow. But Job was not guilty of any great sin. But by blaming Job, they unknowingly pushed Job to the question of the love of God, to question the justice of God. You know, in the New Testament, the, the disciples saw a blind man and said, Who, who's responsible for this? Was it the, the man who sinned, or what, was it his parents? You know, blindness back then was associated with, with uh, sin. And they wondered, you know, who, who, who was, how could this have been avoided? Was it his parents that sinned, or this, this blind man? You know, if, if I can avoid sin, I can avoid the blindness, the, the infirmity, or the sorrow, the pain that comes out with it. But that's that protective theological mindset that, that we, we have to understand that bad things can happen to good people also. Final thought here. God was moving Job from an abundance in life with the fear of loss to an abundance of, in spirit without, without relying on that hedge of protection. He was to have faith without fear, knowing that the love of God transcends. The love of God, listen to me. If you catch anything, it's this. The love of God transcends both the suffering that I will face in the valley as well as the good works that I, I could ever do to garner favor with God. God, at some point, in order to promote growth, will pull down pieces of that protective hedge in which we, we may live in. We've been blessed, amen? We've been blessed beyond all measure. What will your response be? Sometimes there's going to be, some, there's going to be something, young, young people, teenager, listen, there's going to be something in your life. It may, it may have already happened. It may be something that will happen. But there's going to be something, a calamity that's going to come in your life when you're going to say, what in the world just happened? Where was God? And, it's, and you're, you're not going to be able to, to rely on dressing up for church and, and just going to church and putting on a happy face and, and, uh, and, and hopefully we're not relying on that having a form of godliness uh, as, as some other places will do. But you know what? That calamity is going to happen in your life and you're going to have to, you're going to be in that valley. You're going to be face down flat in that valley and you're going to wonder, what do I do? Listen, when you get to that point, when you get to that place, it's going to be the love, it's going to be your, the awe and, and understanding and knowing that God loves you that's going to get you back up. It's not going to be the, the, your, your attendance to church. It's not going to be uh, your faithfulness in ministry. It's not going to be those things. It's going to be the love and respect, the, the fear of God, not that eschews evil, the fear of God that reminds you of the love of God. Let's stand and I'll pray. Dear Lord, again, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for, for everything you've done, Lord. We thank you for loving us beyond compare, loving us even though we don't deserve it. And Lord, I know I was a little long-winded tonight, but Lord, I, I, I pray that you just help us to understand that we can know the love of God. If, if there's anyone at the sound of my voice t today that does not know for sure, if they're on their way to heaven, let me tell you, you can know you can have, leave here today with the understanding of knowing that God loves you and that you're going to be there with him someday in heaven. Oh, don't let that, that slip away.